This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. This is episode number 46 of The Faith Experiment, which I'm calling The Prophetic Code. Now, on this episode, I have another great little resource to give you, absolutely free. You want to save this number into your phone right now or write down a piece of paper, 0488-45311. That's 0488-45311. And when you hear the code word for this episode, take out your phone and text it to 0488-45311, and you will get today's great resources. So what the question is, what is it? Well, it's a really handy little um, track, I guess you could call it, called... An Ancient Prophecy Reveals the Future. And what I love about this little track is it's super simple, not to just understand, but to be able to explain it to somebody else. So you're going to want to get this little little resource at the end of the show. I'll give you away the code word, and you can claim it absolutely for free. It's going to help you in your journey of exploring faith and putting it into practice. Well, on the Faith Experiment, as you know, if you're a long-time listener, I love hearing from you, and so I'd ask you to text me today and let me know what you are doing, where you're listening from, and what your thoughts are about today's topic. So text it in on 0488 or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com. Now, I've got a couple of messages from the last episode that have come in. One's from June, and June says, Thank you ever so much. May God bless you for what you do on the show. Thank you very much, June. Really appreciate your feedback and your comment. And I've got one here from Nada who says, I'm listening from the Albury area. Awesome to have you tuning in, Nada. One from Eva who says, I finally caught up on all the episodes. Well, good news, Eva. I've got a whole bunch more new episodes planned for this year. So I hope you get to keep up to date with those ones as well. And one for Cornell who says, God bless you, Robbie, and thank you so much for what you're doing on the Faith Experiment. Well, thank you. And I really do appreciate your feedback. It keeps me going and it helps me keep an understanding of what's of interest to you out there listening to the Faith Experiment. Many of the episodes are inspired by people's comments or questions. So if you want to have a say in what I present in upcoming episodes, make sure you let me know on 0488 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, in the last episode of The Faith Experiment, I explored this idea of ancient discoveries and how archaeology has, through ancient discoveries, validated the historical accuracy of the Dead Sea Scrolls or the biblical manuscripts that make up the Old Testament. Then the second discovery we looked at was the Behistun inscription, which is found in modern-day Iran today. It's over the old Silk Road, and it dates back to the time of Cyrus the Great. And this inscription helped us understand the cuneiform text, which is the vast majority of the writing from the Babylonian era or Mesopotamia region. Now, this has allowed us to unlock literally thousands of clay tablets that have the stories, it has the history of a region of the world, which is sometimes known as the cradle of civilization. And what this has done is enabled us to validate and verify many accounts that are found up until this point only in the biblical manuscripts of the Old Testament. And that brings us to the third discovery, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls. And a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, or a large portion of the Dead Sea Scrolls, are in fact biblical manuscripts of what we would call the Old Testament. All the manuscripts except for one book have been found so far. That book that hasn't been found is the book of Esther. And that's not because it's not inspired, it's because they haven't found it yet. Now, why is that so important to our quest here to understand Um, prophecy, to understand the future, to understand faith, all those sorts of things. Well, it, it does something remarkable. We are able to date the Dead Sea Scrolls, and fragments date back between 100 and 200 BC. So that makes them extremely old. And why, why that's invaluable to us as, um, as students of the Bible is because these Dead Sea Scrolls show us that the message has not changed from 2,200 years ago to today. So if you pick up your Bible today and you compare it to what these Dead Sea Scrolls say in terms of the Old Testament uh, manuscripts, you'll find almost no variation. There's no variation at all to the message. There is some variation in spelling of names and places and so on. So these three discoveries set us on a very good trajectory to understand the Bible, um, understand the future, understand prophecy as taught by the Bible. And we have historical 
accuracy and reliability with these documents. But now the question is, that's all good and well. Okay, we saw that, yes, the Hittites did exist. Yes, um, you know, Babylon really did have a king called Nebuchadnezzar and he really did lay the foundations. All the way the Bible said it was, but does that, what does that mean and does that mean anything to us when we're looking for hope for the future? And that's really what we're going to unpack on this episode, the prophetic code. Now, if we go back to the Dead Sea and to those Dead Sea Scrolls, what we know now is that we have more than 800 scrolls that made up that collection that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what's fascinating is that a part of those Dead Sea Scrolls, and that terms that collection, is a very popular document with about 9,000 words in it. And that document is called the Scroll or the Book of Daniel. Now, the Book of Daniel is not a strange book to the faith experiment. We've talked about this book a lot over the the last few seasons. But in this episode, we want to explore something that's absolutely remarkable. You see, the book of Daniel, it's about 9,000 words, and it's essentially written in a way that it can be divided into two sections. Half of the book is dealing with historical accounts connected to the Babylonian captivity of Jerusalem from around 600 BC, whereas the second half of the book deals more with future predictions, which, and here's the point of this whole episode, have a remarkable accuracy in terms of proven past fulfilled prophecy. And before we delve into those prophecies, we'll look at some evidence that puts the book of Daniel in the 6th century BC. And this is important because there are skeptics out there that think the book of Daniel is written uh, much, much later, meaning after some of the prophecies that the book talks about. Well, the book of Daniel is in what we call the Old Testament. And the first piece of evidence comes from the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus, the rabbi, he taught numerous times quoting from the book of Daniel, even told his followers there in the first century to read the book of Daniel. So clearly, in the first century, the book of Daniel was already an established part of the Old Testament canon. Now, the second piece of evidence is the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves. As I said earlier, there are fragments of these scrolls that date back to 200 BC, meaning the book of Daniel has to, the original has to be older than 200 BC. So we're clearly dealing with an older document than 200 BC. But the third piece of evidence comes from a guy called Josephus. Now, Josephus was a historian, and Josephus provides an account that Alexander the Great was presented a copy of the book of Daniel when he visited Judah in 332 BC which means that the copies of the book of Daniel had to be around 332 BC, implying that the original was much, much older. Now, the fourth piece of evidence is what we call the last king of Babylon. In the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel, it talks about Belshazzar being the last king of Babylon. However, for decades, historians have said that the Bible got it wrong because they couldn't find a trace of a person called Belshazzar, let alone him being the last king of Babylon. Now, that was the case up until 1881 when a discovery was made of a clay cylinder written in cuneiform, which was able to be Translated today, it's called the Nabonidus Cylinder. It's in the British Museum. But on this cylinder, Nabonidus, the king of Babylon, prays for his son, guess who? Belshazzar. So now we have a person named Belshazzar, and he was the king's son, Nabonidus' son. But was Belshazzar the last king? Well, that was a mystery until 1879 when the Nabonidus Chronicle was discovered. It's also in the British Museum today. And what we find written on this chronicle is an interesting sentence. It says, Nabonidus, that was the king of Babylon, entrusted his kingship to Belshazzar in the third year of his reign. So what we've now learned is that Belshazzar was actually made a co-regent or a joint king with Nabonidus, and Belshazzar is the one in the book of Daniel who was the last king. He was the executed king right before the Medes and Persians took over. So we have four pieces of evidence so far that all point to the fact that the person who wrote the book of Daniel knew the events intimately, even though it's taken nearly 1,800 years to find the facts to support it. And the fifth and final piece of evidence we'll look at in this episode is the Aramaic. Now, Aramaic is the language which this book has been written in, and it is consistent with 6th century documents. So from a historical perspective... 
the book of Daniel, the scroll of Daniel that we find in the Dead Sea Scrolls, is in fact a bunch of copies of a document which dates back to the 6th century BC. Now, why is any of this important? Why does any of this matter? Because we're about to, after the break, delve deep into a prophetic code within the book of Daniel. Now that we know that this book was in fact written well and truly before the events we're about to look at, we are absolutely going to be amazed at how accurate this book actually is. So stick around. We're going to take a short break now. But when we come back, we're going to dig deeper into this prophetic code of the book of Daniel. And we're also getting ready to reveal the code word for this episode. I'll see you right after this on The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Well, there I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were, in the shadows, holding out your hand, you made me dead. Battles for me, you my rescue story. 
This is The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. This is episode number 46, The Prophetic Code. I'm Robbie Bergen and you are listening to The Faith Experiment. Well, before the break, we looked at five pieces of evidence that show that the book of Daniel is a 6th century BC document. We looked at the Aramaic structure of the book. We looked at the last king of Babylon and what the clay chronicles and cylinders have taught us. We looked at the writings of Josephus. We looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves and the teachings of Jesus. And all of these things point to the fact that the book of Daniel is a 6th century BC document. Now, with all that being said, we now can delve into the book itself. And we're going to look at just one prophecy on this episode from this book, and it's a remarkable prophecy. I want to take you back before we look at the prophecy at a story. And the story takes place in the year 332 BC. And it starts with this guy called Alexandria. Alexandria, who is later known as the Great. Now, in 332 BC, he's just finished destroying a bunch of Phoenician cities, uh, specifically the one called Tyre. And now he makes his way east. He's heading towards Jerusalem. And he full well intends on destroying it. Now, when he gets there, he's met by some Jewish priests. And these priests come to him and they show him a prophecy from the 8th chapter of the book of Daniel which, as we've already talked about, was written about 200 years before, in the year about 540 BC. Now, when Alexander the Great had heard this prophecy that was written in this book of Daniel that the Jewish priests have showed him, Alexander the Great decides not to destroy the city of Jerusalem. Now, think about this for a minute. Here's Alexander, he's the great, he's on a a conquest to conquer the world. He gets to this city called Jerusalem. He's met by a bunch of religious people. They show him a prophecy and he goes, all right, I'm not going to destroy your city. And the question is, how come? What was in this prophecy that caused him to change his mind? Well, that's exactly the prophecy I want to delve into in this episode. It's found in Daniel chapter 8. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Then I, Daniel speaking, lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram. I saw the ram pushing west, north, and south, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. It goes on in verse 5 and says, And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn Between his eyes, the male goat was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. So in Daniel 8, Daniel sees this vision. It's a great war between a ram and a goat. And in Bible prophecy, beasts were often symbols of political powers. And this is the same truth in this vision. So the question is, what do these beasts or nations represent? Well, the prophecy doesn't leave you guessing. It comes out and names the powers for us. In verse 20 of chapter 8, the interpreter, which is supposed to be an angel here talking to Daniel, the interpreter says this, The ram which you saw, having two horns, they are the kings of Medo-Persia. So, Very clearly, in this dream or this vision, the ram represents Medo-Persia, who, if you remember your Middle Eastern history, that was the empire who, under Cyrus the Great, conquered Babylon. Now, the prophecy goes on to name who the goat would be. Now, by the way, when Daniel is seeing this dream, he is living under the Medo-Persian empire. So this is a prophecy about what's about to happen to the empire who's in control. When you come to verse 21, the interpreter or the angel in this story, he claims, according to Daniel, it says, And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king of Greece. 
So this is absolutely remarkable. Daniel's standing here. He's living during the time of the Medo-Persian Empire, which was an incredibly large empire. But according to the prophecy that Daniel claims he got from God, the goat would represent the kingdom of Greece. And if you remember, the kingdom of Greece in the story is the one that conquers the ram or Medo-Persia. But I want you to notice that the focus of this goat is on the large horn. It says, the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Now, the first king or horn of the United Greek Empire was, of course, Alexander the Great, who toppled and destroyed the Medo-Persians. And it was this part of the prophecy, of Daniel's prophecy, written 200 years before, that the Jewish leaders showed Alexander the Great when he showed up at Jerusalem to destroy it in 332 BC. So no doubt, if you imagine you're Alexander the Great, you've just had all these conquests against all these Phoenician cities, you rock up to Jerusalem, you're on a roll, out come these religious guys and they say, hey, we've got a prophecy here in our book that was written 200 years before you were born and it mentions that your kingdom, your power, the first king of your power, Greece, is going to destroy the Medo-Persians. So obviously he hears that, he's pretty excited, and he decides not to destroy Jerusalem. In fact, he tells them, you guys can keep your religion and all this stuff, and he gets some Greek scholars to help the religious leaders translate the Old Testament into Greek. This is known as the Septuagint today. As a result of this, Alexander the Great doesn't destroy Jerusalem. And he continues on his merry way, and he actually does what the prophecy said. He wipes out the Medo-Persians and takes control of the situation. However, Daniel's prophecy doesn't end here. Now, I don't know, and from the record it's not clear, whether these Jewish religious leaders showed Alexander the Great the rest of the prophecy, but here's what the prophecy goes on to say. It says, Therefore the male goat, which we know to be Greece, grew very great. Okay, So Greece became a massive, strong uh, empire. It says, but when he became strong, the large, tor- the large horn was broken. Now, remember, the large horn was the first king of Greece, which was Alexander the Great. So it's claiming here in this prophecy that Alexander the Great, under the, with the power of Greece behind him, is going to basically wipe out Medo-Persia. But when he is strong, this horn is going to be broken. Now, how does a king break? Well, you can suspect he's probably going to die. And in his place... Four notable ones will come up towards the four winds of heaven. And as for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, the four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. So what this prophecy is claiming is that, yes, Greece with its first king, this great king, they are going to annihilate the Medo-Persians. They're going to dominate. But when this king, this first king, is at his peak, he's going to be broken and then four kings, and which will represent ultimately four little kingdoms, will come out of this nation, but they will not have its power. And if you know your history of Greece, that is exactly what happened. When Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that point, he died. Um, some sus- suspect it was through drinking alcohol. Uh, some claim it was suicide. Who knows really what the story is, but all we know the outcome was was that he died. Now, in European history, if you've studied it even at high school level, you'll know that when Alexander the Great died, he had no heir. And so his kingdom, or the remnants of it, were not left to an heir. They were left to his four generals. Absolutely remarkable. So this prophecy predicts that he's not only going to come to an end, but four people will take over what he had left as an empire. And that's exactly what took place. These four generals take over. Now, what comes next in the prophecy is remarkable because it says four notable ones, these are the horns, come up towards the four winds of heaven and out of them, or one of the four points of the compass, it says comes a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, towards the glorious land and it shall cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trample them down. He will even exalt himself as high as the Prince of Hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. He cast down the truth to the ground. He shall even rise against the Prince of Peace. 
So what's remarkable is that this one prophecy starts with Medo-Persia being attacked by Greece, Greece dominating that warfare, wiping out Medo-Persia, then Greece's first king, Alexander the Great, at his peak, he'll be broken, and in his place, four rulers will come onto the world stage and start four little empires, but ultimately they'll be replaced with what the Bible calls a little horn. Now we're going to take a short break. After the break, we're going to delve into who is this little horn and what is this little horn going to do. Stay tuned for the upcoming Code Word. I'll be right back after this on The Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Rory Bergen, and this is episode 46 of The Faith Experiment called The Prophetic Code. And before the break, we were looking at this remarkable prophecy in the book of Daniel. We've seen how the book of Daniel is a historically uh, accurate document. It has talked about events that people disbelieved for hundreds, if not almost 2,000 years, until archaeology made discoveries that validated the claims that were made in the book. These are just historical facts, like, for example, the last king of Babylon was Belshazzar, something that wasn't provable until the 1800s. Now, we've seen in this book of Daniel an amazing prophecy in the 8th chapter, and it's a prophecy that was given to Alexander the Great when he was on his way to destroy the city of Jerusalem. Some religious leaders came out and read to him this prophecy. And upon hearing it, he decides, I'm not going to destroy these people. In fact, I'm going to give them some of my uh, my my scholars, and they're going to help them translate this religious text, which we would call the Old Testament today, into the Greek language so it can be preserved in this new great civilization that Alexander the Great was trying to build. And that was called the Septuagint, which you can still get today and still read it today. Now, what was this prophecy all about? Well, we saw before the break that this prophecy was the struggle between a ram and a goat and how the goat was going to defeat and annihilate this ram. And then we asked ourselves, well, what do these animals represent? In Bible prophecy, animals normally represent kingdoms. We don't have to even guess which kingdoms this is referring to because in the same prophecy, Daniel claims that God is telling him that the ram was Medo-Persia and that the goat would be this kingdom of Greece. And not just that, but this great horn on this this goat would represent the first king of Greece, which we know now as being Alexander the Great. Now next in the prophecy it goes on and says that this this Alexander the Great and this Greek empire would destroy the Medes and Persians, but at the height of his strength he would be broken, referring to his death, and as a result there would be no succession in terms of um, a son or an offspring, instead it would go to four little kings or four horns. And that is exactly what history has revealed, that when Alexander the Great was at his peak, he had conquered the known world at that point, when he died without an heir, his four generals took control of the Greek empire. And the prophecy goes on to say that it would never be as strong as it was under Alexander the Great. And that's exactly what happened. Now, before the break, right before the break, we read the last part of this prophecy that talks about these four generals or these four little rulers, they would go to the four points of the compass, but out of one of them would come this little horn, this fifth horn. It would pop up and it was going to do some extraordinary things. It tells us that it would first grow exceedingly great towards the south. So we're looking for now a new horn. This is no longer Greece. It's no longer one of the four generals. This is a new entity. And it's going to go towards the south. That's the first characteristic. And then it tells us that it's going to go towards the east. It will grow exceedingly great towards the east. It will grow exceedingly great towards what it says is the glorious land, which is the Bible's way of describing Israel. And then it would say it would grow exceedingly great. It would be greater than the Greek Empire. So the four generals that took over after Alexander the Great died, they would never have the power that Greece had under Alexander the Great. But this little horn, when it comes on the world stage, it's going to grow exceedingly great, greater than Greece. The fifth thing that this prophecy points out is that this little horn He will even rise up against the Prince of Princes, which is a reference to the the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. The sixth thing this little horn will do is he will cast down his sanctuary, the place of his sanctuary. He would destroy the sanctuary or the temple. The seventh thing, he would take away the daily sacrifices from the temple, which makes sense if you destroy the temple or the sanctuary, then you've obviously destroyed the services as well. And number eight, it says that he would trample on the hosts 
or the stars and cast them to the ground, which is reference to them being a persecutive power against the followers of God. So this was absolutely remarkable because, again, if you know your history, even a little bit of history, you know that after Babylon, it fell to Medo-Persia, which was the ram in this vision. And then we know from history that Medo-Persia fell to Greece, which was the goat in this prophecy. And then Alexander the Great dies, the four generals come up, which we've also seen in history. And then in the middle of this sort of power vacuum, up comes a little horn, which then grows to take on a world status. And if you know your European history, you'll know that there is only one hand-in-glove fit for this next power, and that is the power of what we call Imperial Rome. Imperial Rome, it went south into Egypt. I think um, you have all heard of the Mark Antony and Cleopatra and all that sort of story of how the Roman Empire made its way into the northern African region, exactly as this prophecy predicted. The next thing the prophecy said is that this, this power, this Roman power, would go into Mesopotamia, and that is exactly what it did also. It has remnants that exceeded the Medes and Persians and even the Greeks to some extent going into Mesopotamia. Then it says it would go into the glorious land or into Israel, and we know that is exactly what uh, Rome did in 63 BC. General Pompey, he entered Palestine and took control of it for the Romans. And then it says in the prophecy it would be greater than Greece, and it was exceedingly great, whereas the previous powers were just very great, as Daniel describes. And if we look at history, Greece was no match for Rome. It never lasted as long. It never ruled to the extent that Rome ruled in the ancient Mediterranean world. So exactly as this prophecy predicts, Rome is fulfilling point after point after point. Number five, it said that Rome would stand against the Prince of Peace or the Messiah. And it was the Roman Empire that had the ability to release Jesus, the Prince of Peace, from that trial. And yet it was under the Roman Empire which Jesus died. And he died not a Jewish death, but a Roman death of crucifixion. Exactly as this prophecy indicated. It also said that these, this Roman power would cast down the sanctuary or the temple. And it was the Romans who in 70 AD marched on the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And history tells us that the liquid gold was running down from the walls of this temple into the cracks between the rocks. And as the temple fires went out, the Roman soldiers tried to get this gold out and they didn't leave a single stone left upon Another Absolutely remarkable. And number seven, it says that they took away the daily temple services. And it was the Romans who ransacked the sanctuary and took the golden furniture, which is the service instruments, away from the sanctuary. In fact, if you go and look at the Arch of Titus, which I've seen firsthand, it actually depicts the carrying away of the golden lampstand by Titus from the Jewish temple in 70 A.D., but perhaps the most heartbreaking of all of these predictions is number eight, which said that this power, this Roman power, would trample on God's people or persecute God's people. And in the 6th century BC, think about this for a second, the prophet Daniel claims that he was shown by God that this power that would come after Greece, which we know today to be Rome, would be a persecutive power and would trample God's people to the ground. And this, again, is exactly what history teaches us. It was under the Roman Empire that leaders like Nero ordered the death of thousands, if not millions, of followers of God. They were used as human candles. They were used as um, objects of sport in the great Colosseums right across the Roman Empire. Absolutely remarkable. Now, all of this makes up one prophecy in the book of Daniel. And in this prophetic code that we've just sort of unpacked, we've actually just allowed the Bible to unpack it, and we have the advantage of looking back at it through the lens of history to see how perfectly accurate this prophecy has fulfilled. But if we actually break down this prophecy into its predictive elements, there are 12 predictive elements that make up this one prophecy in Daniel chapter 8. The first predictive element is that Medo-Persia would be a world power, 
The second predictive element is that Greece would come on the stage after Medo-Persia and defeat it. The third predictive element is that there would be four kings that would come on the scene after the fall of the first king, Alexander the Great. The fourth element is that Rome would come on the world stage after these four kings. And then there are eight characteristics of what Rome will do in this prophecy, predictive elements. It would go south, it would go east, it would go to Israel, it would be greater than Greece, it would stand against Messiah, it would cast down the sanctuary, it would take away the temple sacrifices, and it would trample on God's people. Now, that is 12 things or predictive elements that would have to be perfectly fulfilled in order for this particular single prophecy to be fulfilled. It's absolutely incredible. And you imagine this. What's the chances of one human being living more than 600 years before the event being able to, with pinpoint accuracy, name the kingdoms, the characteristics of successive kingdoms? It's, it's beyond astonishing. Now, every one of these 12 predictive elements have come to pass. The names were right. The locations were right. The numbers were right. The characteristics were right. The sequence was right exactly as this prophecy predicted. Now, as a thinking person today, there's only really two logical options when you view a prophecy like this. The first is either we're dealing with one of the greatest hoax in human history or we're dealing with something that is supernatural, something that is beyond the human psyche or the human ability to do. When I first came across this prophecy, I was absolutely astonished. How could it be that someone could write this, some human could write this? It just speaks to the fact that perhaps we're not alone. Perhaps there is someone out there, someone looking down on us. Someone who cares about us, who wants to give us hope for the future. Daniel claims in this book that that someone is the great Jehovah God. Daniel never once claims that this is based on his ability to tell the future. He claims that God only knows the future. Well, it's time to take a short break now. But when we come back, we're going to wrap all this up and see what does this prophetic code mean to our faith experiment. Stick around. Coming up is the code word right after this on The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888845311. That's 04888845311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost And he's a way maker If you need freedom A saving He's a prison shaking savior If you got chains Well he's a chain breaker And we've all searched for the light of day In the dead of night But we've all found ourselves Worn out from the same old fight But we've all run the things We know just ain't right When there's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost 
When he's a way maker If you need freedom A savior He's a prison shaking savior If you got chains He's a chain breaker If you believe it If you receive it If you can feel it Somebody testify If you believe it If you receive it If you can feel it Somebody testify, testify If you believe it If you receive it If you can feel it Somebody testify If you got pain a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need freedom Stay there He's a prison shaking savior If you got chains He's a chain breaker Oh, if you need freedom Stay there He's a prison shaking savior If you got chains He's a chain breaker. This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode number 46, which I'm calling the Prophetic Code. And before the break, we looked at perhaps the most remarkable part of this prophecy the book of Daniel chapter 8 one prophecy 12 predictive elements meaning there are 12 things that had to be fulfilled in order for this one prophecy to be accurate and as I suggested before the break those 12 things it's I believe humanly impossible Those 12 things again, the first is that Medo-Persia would be a world power. The second, that Greece would become a power that would topple Medo-Persia. And that king, that first king, would be strong, but at his strength, he would cease to be. His strength would be broken. He would be replaced by four kings. That was his four generals. And then out of the region of those four generals would come a little horn, a little power that would grow ultimately to be greater than Greece. It would go into the land of Israel. It would go to east to Mesopotamia. It would go south into Egypt. It would stand against the Messiah. It would cast down the temple or sanctuary. It would take away the daily sacrifices, and it would be a persecuted power to God's people. And when we look at this prophecy, these 12 predictive elements, we see very clearly it was Medo-Persia conquered by Greece. Alexander the Great, being the first king, was replaced by four generals, And out of those four territories of those four generals of Greece that never became as strong as it was under the the first ruler or Alexander the Great, Rome eventuates and Rome does eight things. It goes south into Egypt, it goes Mesopotamia, it goes into the glorious land. It is greater than Greece. It stands against Messiah. It casts down the sanctuary or the temple, takes away daily temple sacrifices and it persecutes God's people. And I left you before the break with this idea that when you view this prophecy, these 12 predictive elements and how they have been perfectly fulfilled, you are either dealing with one of the world's greatest hoax in history, meaning that someone sat down and wrote this out exactly as it would take place after it had taken place, being a hoax, or you are actually dealing with something that is supernatural, meaning it has been written by someone who is bigger than you and me, who knows the future. And this is Daniel's point. Daniel never once claims that he is the person through which this power comes to reveal these events of the future. He claims that these details come from his God, the great Jehovah. Now, why is this earth-shattering? Why is this a part of a discussion on the faith experiment? Well, here's the reality. 
if Daniel's God knows the future, if he can tell which king and which kingdom and how many generals and which geographical locations a power is going to be involved in, if he knows the future, then it goes to stand by definition that he knows your future. And that gives us confidence as we face each and every day of our lives, as we face our trials, as we face our successes, knowing that Daniel's God is out there and he has reached down through time and space to give this information. Now, this information that we've looked at today, from our perspective, is all history. There's nothing super exciting from a, a what's going to happen with the economy, what's going to happen with China, what's going to happen with Russia. There's none of that in this prophecy. And that's not the purpose of looking at this prophecy. The purpose of this prophecy is to show there is accuracy, prophetic accuracy that's dependable. And we're going to unpack in the coming episodes more of these prophecies, not from the point of view just to go, wow, look at this, this is really academically amazing. We're going to discover the God behind these prophecies and what he wants and how we can experiment in a relationship with Daniel's God. Now, at the top of the show, I said I've got this amazing little resource to give you, and I want to give it to you now. It's called An Ancient Prophecy Reveals the Future. This little track shows how that a prophecy that doesn't specify a date, doesn't specify a year, a decade, or even a century, it has a remarkable way of outlining human history that's been so accurate that the final step, the only one left to be fulfilled, is absolutely certain. And so you want to get this little track. It's not just a great resource for you, but it's a great resource for you to share with people around you. So if you'd like to get this, you need to text today's code word to our number 04888 That's the phone number 04888 Text the code word hash FE46. That's the hash symbol followed by FE for Faith Experiment and number 46 for episode 46. Text that in through 04888845311 and we'll get that to you as soon as possible. That's all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed the prophetic code. I'll see you next week on the same time right here on Faith FM. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Birkin. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 11. That's 0488 Or send an email to robbie at and let us know what you thought of this episode. Hey, guess what? Robbie here. This is a bonus. The Faith Experiment is going to be going live. Not on radio, but in person. Check out faithfm.com.au slash events to see where I'll be visiting next. I'll be visiting towns and cities right across Australia presenting the Faith Experiment in person. So if you'd like to join me, come say hello, or just dig deeper into these amazing manuscripts and put some faith into experimentation, check out faithfm.com.au slash events and see where I'll be visiting next.